Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Today we're going to discuss a common question that every Christian will find themselves asking at least once during their spiritual walk. Does the way I share the gospel have to sound good in order for me to be an effective servant? Please join Jordan and me as we look to answer this question according to Scripture and see how God would answer that for all of us. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the book of Isaiah in the Amplified Bible. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, meaning useless without result, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. That was Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. First, let's use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context of a Bible reading before attempting an E, explanation. Here, the speaker is the prophet Isaiah. He is considered by theologians to be a major prophet. Now, this book is located in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, and it contains the prophecies attributed to the prophet Isaiah. We know that it was written during the time of Israel's Babylonian captivity. Now, today, scholars believe that the book comprises of three separate collections of oracles. The Proto-Isaiah, which is chapters 1 through 39 of that book, containing the words of the 8th century prophet Isaiah. Then there's the Deutero-Isaiah, which is chapters 40 to 55, which they believe it to be the work of an anonymous 6th century BC author written during the exile. And then finally, the Trito-Isaiah which is chapters 56 to 66, which is the end of the book. And that was composed after Israel's return from exile. So this would fall in the uh, Deutero-Isaiah, is that correct, Andy? That is correct. As for the audience, uh, it's Israel, with the intent that Christians today learn from their past mistakes to avoid the consequences they endured throughout their captivity. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, The things that happened to Israel happened as examples for us, the members of the church. And he adds this was done so that we would not crave evil things as they did. In other words, Christians should read the Old Testament as a series of hard-learned lessons 
so that we'll not make the same mistakes and thus end up losing our inheritance, which is to rule and reign with Christ Jesus during the millennial kingdom. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the context. Now, the context of these two verses, they were written to a repented Israel after suffering in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They were under the Nebuchadnezzar kingdom. God was speaking to them in preparation for their return back to Israel. Also, these verses were written for Christians today so that we would trust God in all things, understanding that his ways are not our ways, and we are to remain faithful. Chapter 55 of Isaiah as a whole is prophetic, speaking of what believers will encounter in the future, as well as those who will partake of Christ's millennial kingdom. So now that we've considered the speaker, audience, and context, we're better equipped to give the explanation. Let's break down this passage of scripture. The key passage we need to focus on from our reading today is this verse, verse 11. So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless, or without result. Yeah, that's the Amplified and... um you know, the Amplified Bible is a great Bible because what it seeks to do is take the shades of meaning of the Greek and put it into English. You know, a lot of times you'll encounter an English translation of the Bible, and the words they use are, are close, as close as possible, but, you know, the Greek has so many other shades of meaning that the Amplified Bible authors decided to, or editors decided to, um, try to give you the flavor of certain words. So here, you know, return to me void, they, they put in parentheses meaning useless or without result. So they try to give you that flavor of the original Greek. Exactly. And you know, Andy, th- yeah, this is one of those verses that's embedded in my memory from childhood. Um, and it's fitting because my mother is Jewish, uh, Jewish heritage. You know, she was raised Jewish and um, came to know Christ as a teenager. So I- I'm pretty sure she's the one who put this verse there. And and it's in my memory as a paraphrase. And that paraphrase is, his word shall not return void. And it's one of those phrases of encouragement that I think about whenever I am sharing scripture with, let's call it a hard case. You know, someone who, who you would think logically with your rational brain is very unlikely to listen to scripture and to hear it. For example, an extreme example would be an atheist. And you may wonder, as I have, like, what's the use of quoting scripture to an atheist? But I've done it often. And the answer is really this verse, you know, God has a plan and his word shall not return void, even if you give scripture to an atheist, you have to trust God that he has a, he has a purpose there and that that's something that you say, something that the word says through no logic of your own will have its effect. Absolutely, Jordan. And, and that I think is really what we're trying to do for our listeners today is, is especially those who've at this point have asked themselves about um, what can I do to modify the package that I'm going to bring the gospel to. Should I make it a better ribbon? Should I make the wrapping paper shiny? Um, should I make it brighter? What do I need to make sure that I share this this gift, this you know, packaged up gospel, so that people would be willing to receive it? And and what we're trying to do today is show you, according to Scripture, that God knew that we would have this question, and God, like you said, Jordan, is actually, I believe, testing our faith in His Word, trusting Him that he wrote out his words in scripture exactly the way they need to be spoken and that we the way they need to be shared what i believe we should be doing 
is studying them even more so that we have a better understanding of what they mean to us. And also that we should be very familiar with scripture so that if people have questions that we're, we are, we have the capability to be able to respond with the proper scripture at the right time, more or less exactly the way God intended it to be written. I mean, we've got to remember one thing. God is perfect. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And he is without sin. I mean, there is no mistake with God. You know, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 2, 16 that, that comes to mind for me, which reads, For who has known the mind of the Lord that that person can in- instruct God? No one can, right? No one can tell God, well, hey, God, I have I have an idea. I'm going to explain it this way. You know, I'm a pastor, and when I get on the pulpit today, I'm going to make some great connections, and I'm going to modify. No, you can't change anything. We've got to keep it real. We've got to keep it the way the original scripture wrote it. And, you know, another thing I wanted to say, Jordan, is that in order for us to be the most effective, I believe it's it's us pulling back and not trusting ourselves but really just 100% resting in the fact that God is going to do it all. And I go to Isaiah verse 40, verses 13 to 14, which supports this. And it reads, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding. So, I mean, as you can see from that verse right there, I mean, God knows what, what needs to be done. Our job is just to have faith that it'll be done his way in the proper way. Yeah. And do you know, I, I love the, um, I particularly enjoyed the preparation for this episode because I made me think of both of my parents and my childhood, you know, my mom's still alive. My dad is now gone to be with the Lord. And he, he was a great singer who was often asked to do solo performances at, at church. And one song he loved, he loved to sing and performed often is God and God Alone by Steve Green. And the one line I always remember from that song goes like this, God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne. And, you know, I, I thought about that. I have thought about that and dwelt on it. You know, it's saying only God is worthy and able to sit on the throne of the universe. And if we believe that's true, then the questions posed by the Apostle Paul there in Corinthians that you read and the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 they're obviously rhetorical, right? With whom did God consult when he set the universe in motion? Who was his teacher? Who could possibly instruct him? No one, of course. You know, God has always existed. He is before all and above all. And if that's true, then God is also outside of the universe. I mean, he created it after all. And what's the universe made of? Well, physicists tell us it's made of space and time or space-time. So that means that God is outside of time as well. And when thinking about how that applies to us, you know, we inevitably come to the doctrine of predestination. Now, this is a doctrine I know many people wrestle with. It's not easy for our human brains to to grasp it. You know, we feel that we have free will, but we also know there's no choice we can make that God hasn't foreseen and planned for in advance. Or as the founder of our ministry, Pastor Whipple, used to say, you were walking down the broad way and you saw a sign over the straight gate that read, enter ye all who will. So you entered thinking you did so of your own accord, but then you look back to see the other side of that sign, which read chosen before the foundation of the world. Amen. So this is sort of a a paradox that the human mind cannot fully comprehend. Only the spirit can reveal it to us. 
or as the Apostle Paul put it, the natural man cannot understand these things because they are spiritually appraised. And that's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Yeah, those are great statements, Jordan. I, I really enjoyed the way you explained that. And um, it, it means a lot to me too, because you know I struggled as, as someone you know, at a young age, of course, when we were teenagers, you know, we would go to Bible studies together and, you know, that, that's where I really, um, my, my foundational change from being raised Catholic to, to Christian really started to take place. And, um, and, you know, whenever you think about your roots and your foundations of Christianity, those are things that, that really stay with you usually forever. And, um, one of the things I remember we did talk about in those studies was, was really interesting to me is that, God knows everything. There's absolutely not one thought. And I share this with my kids too, since they were little. Our thoughts can't even be hid from God, our thoughts. So, right. you know, the beautiful thing of that is it's liberating because it's not like we have to, you know, feel that, wow, there's what can I do here to trick God or go behind his back or how am I going to get away with this? It actually is liberating as a Christian to just say, look, there's nothing I could do. I'm an open book. God knows everything. So the beautiful thing of that is that we can assess from there that he is perfect. Everything is perfectly planned. And nothing he does includes a mistake. Because at the end of the day, even though, you know, there might be listeners now that disagree with us and say, no, 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 you know, predestination, that's wrong. And that's fine. They could believe that if that's what makes them feel better. If that's, you know, that's where, where they're at. That's fine. You have the right to feel that way. But at the end of the day, I truly believe according to scripture, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that God was in complete control. You know, it, it leads me to a scripture in John chapter six, verse 44, which reads, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So here we see Jesus in, in one verse summarizing where we are with salvation. You know, um, it's God, the father's will for us to believe in Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus himself and only him who's going to be able to raise us up on that last day when those horns blow. Yeah, I love verses like that, Andy, because it really shows that, again, there's no way around it. There's no way around the inevitable truth of, you know, this doctrine of predestination. No one chooses to believe in Jesus. They are drawn to him by the father and they really simply yield to that calling. Right. And, and. I encourage everyone listening to sort of dwell on verses like this and to think about this concept because we tend to, particularly in American culture, we're very, you know, we have agency, right? We we do things, even our, our grammar. I, I study other languages um, and in other languages, the, the constructions are much more passive where things are happening to you. This, this is even common, uh, common of British English where Things that happen to be in the passive tense, things happen to you. In American English, it's always, we're doing this. So we, we tend to think of salvation that way too. Like, you know, I, I had this rational moment and, you know, I, I was persuaded as we talked about in the previous episode and I did this thing. But, but the Bible is clear on this point. Like, you know, it, it's the Father. You know, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And, uh, you know, if we use a little bit of space method on that verse, we see that here in John 6, He's speaking to Jews who could not accept that he was the bread of life that had come down from heaven as the living fulfillment or the antitype, as we say, of the manna from heaven in Exodus 16. You know, John 6.42 tells us they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, 
I have come down out of heaven. And later they completely misunderstood and rejected the, the metaphor he was giving them of eating his flesh and drinking of his blood. So what does Jesus say in response to all this? You know, it, if you get into that passage of scripture, it's a very, you know, sort of confusing time and people are very confused by, by you know, him basically, they think he's talking about cannibalism or whatever. And in this verse, we read that he's essentially saying, you know, it's okay. This will make sense to those whom the Father has predestined to understand it. And this gets back to, you know, our key point. You know, those with spiritual ears will hear it and be able to comprehend the, the, the truth of its symbolism. Or, you know, in the words of Isaiah, these words will not return void. And again, I think, you know, that should be of comfort to those who wish to be effective in sharing the gospel. As you were saying earlier, Andy, when you have a good knowledge of Scripture, you understand that even things that don't sound good to human ears, they, they aren't packaged the way that we want them to be packaged, maybe in modern marketing, as you sort of alluded to, they're guaranteed to have an effect so long as it's God's will that they do. You know, and, and remember the words of the model prayer, you know, your will be done speaking to God as it is in heaven. Not, not my will, not our will. It's not our words. Yeah, I love that point. That's one of my favorite points when we're talking about whether or not predestination is a thing. And, um, you know, Jordan, Christians today, I believe, are lacking in faith in the power of the scriptures. We hear a lot on TV and on the radio and just, you know, what we read and so on and so forth, social media, and how you have to have faith in God and you have to have faith in him. And, and that's obvious. But how could we have faith in someone that we don't understand and someone that we don't really know tried and true? If you want to know God, you need to know the scriptures. One can't happen without the other. So what we need to have is faith in what the scriptures are saying. And that's going to be the key to the power behind how effective we are in sharing the gospel. It really comes down to trust. You know, faith is resting in its power. You know, I hate to use these, these words, but, you know, it's kind of like magic words, if you will. To a non-believer, that's what they would call it. You mean there's like us magic spell? You know, I wouldn't call it that particularly because the word magic is a bad word. But yeah, if that's what it takes for people to understand, those words are perfect and they are God. You know, it, the Bible says in John chapter one that Jesus is the word of God. So when we speak the words, we're actually giving them a piece of Jesus. And I also believe that it's important that we emulate the apostles as much as we can from their writings. Let's look at Romans chapter one, and I'm going to read verses 14 to 18. And this is written by Paul to the church at Rome. And it reads, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So right there, I think the key word there to look at is suppress. You know, it's unrighteous to suppress the word of God. And if you think about the world right now that we live in, whether it's politically, whether it's in our social circles, at work or at home, the enemy is always trying to use people to try to suppress the word of God, for us to try to think that we need to modify it, 
for us that we need to water it down and so on and so forth. When true righteousness is a man or a woman who live by faith to trust that the word of God is perfect and it needs to be shared exactly the way it was written. Yeah, great points, Andy. And also, you know, Romans 1, 14 to 18 speak of the importance of being available to share the gospel or the good news. Gospel means good news. Whenever God opens the door to do so, notice that the Apostle Paul did not discriminate or even seem to care what the world thought. You know, he felt obligated to share the gospel with everyone, even Greeks and barbarians, as he says, you know, the so-called wise, as well as those thought of as foolish. And importantly, he seems to have been immune to shaming. You know, that's a, that's a modern concept, but you can clearly see that, you know, he, he was immune to shaming because he felt that as long as he is, was pleasing his master, and that's the right word for it, he, he calls himself a servant or slave of Jesus many times in the epistles. As long as he was pleasing his master, he didn't care what anyone thought of him. Absolutely, Jordan. Great points. So now that we've heard different scriptures and we're able to make some assessment here, let's summarize what we learned. Let me ask a question to our listeners. Have you ever felt embarrassed by the idea of sharing the gospel with someone? Well, if it helps, I will be the one to raise my hand first because I'm not perfect. You know, this embarrassment can come from several places, but one of the main reasons for it is that we're afraid that we will not like what they hear. Maybe we're afraid that they might reject us because of our beliefs. You know, the natural thing to do is to try to craft our words in such a way that the gospel sounds appealing to them and maybe not so harsh. Yeah, and that's really one of the most dangerous misconceptions of all, Andy, because when we change the main points of the gospel, even if it's well-meaning, we lose a lot of its power, if not all of its power. You know, earlier we saw how Paul addressed this issue in Romans 1.16. He made the bold statement, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Yeah, we don't want you to miss the key phrase in this verse. He calls the gospel the power of God for salvation. That means that when we witness to someone, we aren't just speaking words. We are literally becoming a conduit of God's power. We're presenting someone with a spiritual truth that has the ability to alter their eternity. You know, the flip side of this is when we present a version of the gospel that leaves out some of the truth of the gospel, and I mean, even the parts of it that we know people won't like, we offer them something that can't save them. Yeah, sometimes we attempt to make the gospel sound better simply because we so desperately want someone to get it, you know, get the point. And that's not a bad motive again, but it's also not a responsibility that we can take into our hands. And and that's really the key point of today. Apart from the Spirit of God revealing the truth of the gospel to a person, it's impossible for them to receive it. That's what we learned today from our study of Scripture. You know, the reason the watered-down gospel works, quote-unquote, is because it appeals to a person's fleshly nature, not their spirit. Sadly, if someone accepts the gospel because it sounds good to their flesh, then they really haven't gotten it at all. Saving people is God's job. Our job is to be His witnesses. We will see the power of the gospel at work when we choose to believe it. It is powerful exactly the way God originally presented it. You know, Jordan, it may seem like foolishness to the world, and it may seem like foolishness to our intellectual side at times, but it's a fleshly foolishness for us to think that way, and then a spiritual wisdom that God can use to change people's lives, to change people's eternity. And that, everyone, is our lesson. 
Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. of the Kingdom Incorporated.